0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Well, welcome this morning. We're glad you're with us. Uh, we're doing something a little bit different this morning, though it might seem like we've done this before. We are doing something a little different, and that is that we're having a little more conversational mode this morning um, in our talk with purpose, but. Um, we, we have been on a series um, called Foundation, which we have been going through our church beliefs, and we think it's important that, that we would know what it is that we believe. And, and in that, when we came, when we came upon um, our belief number 15, we decided to expand on that, um, and, and we did a three-part series these last three weeks that had to do with um, our belief number 15, with, which really deals with our sexuality. Everybody say sexuality. Sexuality. How many of you know that this these last three weeks have been at the core of the, the core of the human existence, like what the scripture says about our sexuality? And uh, we, we thought today that we could um, talk a little bit about what we want to impart to you as some takeaways and maybe even try to wrap this up in a way that would would give some um answers to maybe some some thoughts that we received and then amongst our own conversations and uh and we want to do it in a way that just you know we do have some predetermined thoughts or some scripture but i'm going to tell you first service it was like it was just free-flowing um whatever the lord would would impart to us we want to do that again amen so how many of you have been with us the last several weeks as we've been talking through, okay, so, so quite a few of you, um, this idea of foundation and our beliefs and the series the last three weeks called Design. And uh, we know that as we had talked through that, that it deals with and begins to draw out of scripture what the plan of God for us. Um, in our sexuality and in our lives, that that might be even um, a hot-button issue today, right? It's like everywhere we turn, we're hearing something about, about that speaking to us. But the Bible has a lot to say about God's design for us with purpose. And we wanted to, uh, with passion, without fear, with knowing that we were going to unpack this before our people, and uh, and let let you know what it is that we we believe here at Grace Harvest church, and so um, we just want to we just want to jump right in here because some of the feedback that we got had to do with the idea that though we have given the standard, we have said this is the way, this is what this is what Scripture says from the beginning through the end god's design for us but but there was one thought that just kind of came through, and that was that. What do I do if I've broken that standard? What do I do now? How, how, how do I move through and go on? And, uh, and so I want to start there this morning and just kind of throw that out there. Um, so w- what do we do?
1: I'll just open up, real, open up the conversation really sh- briefly, shortly. Um, I, I think the first thing to do is to repent. Right, and that you know seems like really easy, but um, repentance doesn't actually just mean saying you're sorry, right? Like the biblical word is actually more centered around the idea of changing your mind, um, changing your mind about what you've done, right? Because sometimes people like to use apologies sort of just to like get out of the get out of trouble, a little bit, right? My kids do that all the time, okay, and you can see you're like you're not really sorry, you know, um, but they're they're trying to do it to to escape punishment or kind of get done with whatever you know whatever discipline we have for them. But the reality is, is it's about changing your mind and going a completely different direction. And so it has to start right there before you can actually um, begin to address some of the problems. Is like, I did this thing, and I'm, I'm realizing, you know, hopefully it's through the, the Word and the Scripture and, and the Holy Spirit, but that my mind has to be changed about the actions that I have partaken in.
2: Amen along with the idea of repentance is, is the concept that uh, the, the word metanoia, the Greek word means the changing of the mind because in that culture's um, thinking, when you truly change the way you thought about something, it affected your will, so your choices, and then eventually your emotions as well. And so uh, to change the mind about something is to see it differently, to see our sexuality differently, to see it the way that God designed us to see it. You know, in First John, um, the, the writer John says that God's commandments are not burdensome. So the first thing we have to understand is if God tells us to do something or not to do something, it's not because he's a killjoy or he's trying to take away our fun, but it's because it's good. It's because it's right. It's because it fits the way we were designed and made. And when we do something according to God's design, human beings thrive, and they live a good life. And when we depart from the way that God has designed us, Things get broken. They get broken inside of us. They get broken with others. And, and the, the pathway is skewed and it's twisted. And that's what's happened culturally is we've been told, you know, the idea is if you repeat a lie often enough, if you repeat a lie often enough about your sexuality, to you it becomes true. You believe it. But the problem is, is a lie is a lie is a lie is a lie. In the same way that truth is consistent. And so when we go to Scripture and we see God's pattern and God's plan for our sexuality and we live according to that pattern and plan, we thrive and we're, we have joy and we experience true pleasure. And the thing that's best is we experience the smile of God. We know we're living under a happy heavens and God is pleased with us. When we depart from that and we break God's design, we always end up reaping some bad stuff.
3: When I think about, and kind of what I've seen, <clears throat> is, is say you broke the standard, uh, God's standard of sexuality or all these things. Um, I think the first thing that I've seen in my own life and other people's lives is the principle of um, sowing and reaping. Um, our life is a lot more like a, um, maybe like a garden than we think. And when we hear the principle of sowing and reaping, we always think it's good things. It's not always good things. Sometimes you sow in very toxic things and very bad fruits. And what's so tough about that? The principle doesn't stop. You still have to reap the thing that you sowed. And it is really, really painful. And so sometimes we have these people that have sowed all these things and their bad fruit in their life And then all of a sudden they get saved or they want to start something new. And they're like, but I'm following Jesus. Why do I have to? There are still consequences to those things. And you have to walk through the fullness of that fruit, eat of that fruit, and then start something new. It's this beautiful thing where you will have to walk out a lot of the consequences. And God's grace is for you in that. But just to pretend that sometimes it's like, you will you will reap what you have sown now if that is your story and if you're just like man i'd say this god's with you in this season and he's with you even dealing with the consequences and now when those consequences have run themselves out when the fruit has run dry you have this beautiful opportunity to plant something new you have something so beautiful you have this empty garden the garden of your life and just be like, you know what? I'm going to start sowing in the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. And then you're like, wait, why don't I have love, joy, and peace and patience? (laughs) Because just like everything else, it takes time to grow. But man, when you begin to reap the things that you have sown, the good things, it is life and life abundantly for you.
2: Unfortunately, a lot of times what we want to do is live however we want to do, however we want to live, and do whatever we want to do, and then pray for crop failure, right? right? Like, oh God, please don't
0: let that crop come up, and it doesn't work that way. So, <laughs> it's so good. You ever want a practical? You want a practical conversation with the idea of sowing or reaping? Talk to anyone who grows anything. Talk to your local farmer. Talk about the inputs that are needed into the soil and the strategy with which that, you know, different kinds of soil and the kinds of, I mean, this is this is like so, you know, as pastors and as people who maybe mentor people and disciple people, you know the reality of of walking with people and of having conversations with people about what it looks like to... Um, being a being a season or being an understanding of repentance, right? Like you hear people come and talk to you, share their heart, share their life, and and maybe um, even even confess one to another scripturally, right? And they're and they're looking for a way through and forward. And and I submit to to us that as a peoples, we like the easy way, and that easy way oftentimes is a is a resolution like I'm sorry. But but when you look through Scripture, that isn't the repentance way. That's one of the things that needs to happen is an acknowledgement that that you are sorrowful, sorry for your actions. But and so so in sitting with people, I take people to Second um, Corinthians chapter seven. The Apostle Paul, you can chime in, any of you guys, anytime. Okay, Second Corinthians chapter seven, and and because the Apostle Paul, he, he was he, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, letters to the church. The early church was messed up, full of all kinds of behaviors and people. And so the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, a missing letter maybe, and then 2 Corinthians that we have, and he's referencing in this section a letter that he wrote that caused great sorrow to the church exposing their behavior, the things that he have heard. You just imagine the apostle sitting down, all these rumors and stories, coming back to him about the church that he planted, and he's having to write a rebuttal and a response, right? Like, here's the things I heard. But then, So, so I read this to people, and then there's seven things in this text that show um, godly repentance. It's a good measure for you guys to really analyze if you're really repentant about something. Um, 2 Corinthians 1. Um, Seven, chapter, uh, verse, chapter 7, verse 10, it says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. So you're stuck like there's no way out. Verse 11, For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. So, so first thing, something has changed about your posture about wanting to do what's right. Something's changed, like you're leaning into that idea of, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And, and, but also with eagerness uh, to clear yourselves, like you're not, you're ready just to, man, I told you the truth, here it is, I, I want to deal with it, I, I'm laying it all out. I'm going to get it out. What, what indignation, the idea that you're not, no longer going to, to put up with, like you are, you are, um, you, you're resolute about not tolerating this thing anymore. I'm not going to hang out with the people who do. I'm not going to do it myself. I, I can no longer put up with it. What fear knowing that God is watching and that God is everywhere and that he's aware of, of your life. What, what longing in this text, you know, Paul writes a letter to the church and they long to see him because of the truth that he brought to the life. Think about that for a moment. How many times do you long to see the people that confront you in a godly way? Like they brought a good word to your life and, you know, maybe spoke something and, and gave you a word of correction and it did something to your heart and then your response is, man, I just want to see you again. It was good. I submit to you that doesn't happen very often. But but here, you know something's happening when, when the response back is, man, it's so good, that word that you gave me. It, it was difficult, but I, I'm glad you did that. What, what zeal? All of a sudden now there's like an energy and just an excitement and a passion to want to serve the Lord and do what's right and to lean in into those things. And what, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. You're willing to expose and the idea is that at any moment you could walk up to somebody, grab them, turn them upside down, shake them, and what comes out of their pockets? Like, we just had a conversation. I just shook you. And what came out of the secret place, your pockets? is Look, look what's on the ground. I thought you said you got rid of that. Okay, let's talk about that. But God is so good and he's faithful, and he's just, and he forgives. And the Apostle Paul did such a beautiful job in the New Testament at encouraging Christians to turn, change their mind, change their actions, change their life, and lean into the goodness of God. Yeah.
1: Amen. This this goes along with that, but also you know a little bit of what Pastor Noah was talking about with just consequences. Um, you know, part I was telling first service. Part of my testimony is that I was really promiscuous when I was a young man, and then I I met my wife and we got engaged. And um, you know, one of the I think it was like the first session. You know, and everything's good. We I, I, well, we didn't know each other very long. Let's put it like that. So I don't recommend that, but it was great for us. So. <laughs> Um, but, you know, one of the first sessions was um, basically our, counseling, yeah. yeah, premarital counseling. Yeah, our counselor, pastor, you know, he's like, uh, it sounds like you need to have a conversation. You know, my wife waited for marriage and I didn't. And so he was like, it sounds like you need to have a conversation where you tell her everything. And, um, and so I had repented, right? Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm walking with Jesus. I had left that behind me. But in that moment, you realize something. Um, and that is you're like, oh, this is a whole different type of repentance. I I felt so much worse um about that in that moment because, you know, I'm having to repent to my wife too and just, you know, and there's all these thoughts and feelings, you know, in me. I'm like, she might not even be okay with this. This might be like a whole process that she has to work through. Um and um you know that really sick feeling that you get in your stomach sometimes that you're just like, I don't I don't want to do this. That was that that same feeling. And um you know, I realized in that moment that I had, I had given something away um, that wasn't mine to actually give. It was actually hers. Like, that our sexuality is for marriage, right? And that was for her. And it took away something from that moment that, that could have been. And that's not to condemn anything or anything like that. God is good, he's gracious, and he restores. But sometimes you still reap the, the consequences of what you've done, even after repentance. So...
3: Yeah, just springboarding off that, um, and just even the last few weeks as these three really covered different parts of uh, the series design, um, one of the main topics was about marriage. And um, one thing that came up last week when we were just talking about this series just out in the cafe, um, Drew brought up something that I thought would be worth kind of talking about is uh, this thought that marriage, marriage isn't just about your happiness, Um, can you expound on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I, my wife is sitting here, so we're so happy. Okay. (laughs) yeah, step one, let's take care of that. (laughs) We're so happy. Um, I, I think there's an idea in culture even, but definitely in the church too, is that I I need to be married to be happy. Um, and for guys, it's probably, I, I need to be married so that I can feel not guilty about having sex, you know, and, um, but we have all sorts of other ideas of why I need to be married to um, be fulfilled in my life. But then we kind of couple it with these ideas of happiness, right? Like, I won't be happy until I'm, I'm married and all that stuff. And, and the truth is is that um, it's, I, I've heard it like this before, and, and I didn't make this up. Somebody else did. This has been circulating for years. But marriage isn't about making you happy. It's about making you holy. Let's say it one more time marriage isn't about making you happy, it's about making you holy, right? And it doesn't mean that happiness can't come out of marriage, and that is, I, I think that's a great goal to have for any couple. Um, and I think when you're walking in God's ways, I think happiness is gonna, is gonna come, that's gonna be a fruit of, of that, um, that relationship. Um, but for me personally, I, I think marriage has been one of the, the, the best things in discipling me um, as a Christian, because you realize really, really quickly um, how selfish you are in a lot of ways, you know, and you're trying to live with this other person. And, and that's one of the ways that the Lord works in us as individuals um, is because we're trying to become one, right? And, uh, and then you have kids. And then it's even more of that. And you, you know, we talked about this a little bit before, but, you know, you, you have to really let go of a lot of things when you have kids. It's a big sacrifice and it's absolutely worth it. Um, but it's one of those things where you, you have to lay a lot of things down. Um, I, I want to read this. I didn't do this for a service, but I think this is really funny. Uh, this is in Proverbs, right? And if you haven't read Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or the book of Job, there's these three books in the Bible that kind of have this tension um, between one another. But in Proverbs 18, at 22, it says this. It says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing, and he obtains favor from the Lord. Right? Amen. If you're married, if you're a man here, you need to say amen right there. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Don't, you're going to hear about it later. So... Um, and then literally like two chapters later, it says this, Proverbs 21, he can see what I'm reading. It says, it is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Ooh, and that's real, okay? Anyway, the, the tension between those things is, is really funny in the Bible, right? This idea of like making these two people together and, and as one, and so... Um anyway, marriage is meant to make you holy, not necessarily happy all the time.
0: And just for the record, I'm looking around. If you, if you feel like I'm looking at you, I'm not. I can't see you. So, without glasses. Let's talk about that brings up so so what about those who are single? Or or those who, if marriage is to make holy, how can we look at the idea of what it means to honor God in, in our singleness? Or those who struggle with same-sex attraction and, and sexuality? What does that mean? Any thoughts?
2: The Apostle Paul in the seventh chapter of First Corinthians, which is all about marriage and sexuality. So if you ever want to find a good chapter to kind of go look at if you're a couple and you're married or you're single and you want to know what do I do with my life right now, it'd be a great chapter for you to read. Seventh verse says this, he says, I wish that all people were as I am. And he means single at that time. But he says, but each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift, another has that. And what is the this and that? The this and that is some people have the gift of being married and some people have the gift of being single. And he makes it clear in there that they're both gifts. And the reason that's important is because culturally, we don't really believe singleness is a gift. And we're especially guilty of that within the church. Because when we see single people, what do we try to do? Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Right? We go out trying to get people married. We, we really like, we start looking around like, oh yeah. We're, we're trying to connect people, right? And what we really need to do is we need to pray and ask God, you know, do, do I need to be interfering with people's lives like this? And let the Holy Spirit work because um, many times we're trying to force something that isn't necessarily the gift of God. The gift of God for some people is singleness. Why is that? Because when you're single, you can be completely devoted to what God wants you to do. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, you know, I want you to go right now over to that person's house and pray for them or bring them food. If you're married, you you might have to jump through several hoops, especially once kids are involved there, right? But now you have this gift of singleness. It can be a life completely devoted to Jesus Christ. And when you're married, you have to be concerned about your spouse and your family and so we have to begin to see singleness as a gift. And, and so whether you're a heterosexual single person or whether you're a person with same-sex attraction that's single, the call of God is to be celibate and to give your life completely devoted to Jesus Christ, to give yourself to him fully for his purposes. Now, now you might be here and be like, that's rough, that's very difficult. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think that's fair. Well, you know, all of us in life, are going to have things that we suffer with. Suffering is a reality that we try to escape in American culture. We do everything we can to self-medicate, whether it's Netflix, Netflix binges, porn, or drugs or alcohol or sex. We're, we're always trying to either pleasure it away or we're trying to numb it away. But scripture teaches that we at times have to suffer and when we suffer with Jesus Christ, And we embrace the cross in our life there. And we say, okay, that part of my life is very difficult, but I'm going to let him work death in me in that area. As we do that, the scripture is clear. When we let death come to certain desires in our life, God brings resurrection and power and life. And so a single life devoted to Jesus Christ, no matter what your sexual desires are, a single life devoted to Jesus Christ is a life that can be completely sold out and great power and great grace can come upon that life. And, you know, we see men, Jesus was single, by the way. Our Savior, our Lord, our pattern, our model, our maker, the one we're following, he was single. And so he provides for us a beautiful picture of what a single life devoted to God can be. So does the Apostle Paul. So, so we, we, what we need to see is that, that singleness is a gift. And instead of always chasing after marriage, maybe we need to ask God, what do you have for me, Lord? What do you have for me? The the last point that I'd like to just make here is that single people need to be loved and embraced no matter what their attraction is in the church of God. So the church should be the safest place on earth for people, even people who struggle with same-sex attraction. They should be able to be in the church of Jesus Christ and find a community that not only loves them, but embraces them and gives them affection and gives them a place at the table and gives them the opportunity to love and to serve as they devote their life to follow Jesus Christ in celibacy and walk with him that way. Amen.
3: There's another question that kind of came out of that that you kind of touched on a a bit, Doug. but what does it look like to bear your cross when it comes to your sexuality? And um, I kind of just want to chime in on this. Um, we, we think, you know, off the time, you know, we hear this idea that, man, it's so hard to deal with. You know, it's just like I'm attracted to the same sex or this or that. And the thing is, it's like all of us have a cross to bear in your sexuality. And the lie that even the enemy, I remember as a young man, put in my head was, man, if you get married, (laughs) you won't have any other temptation from any other woman on the planet. (laughs) That's not true. And, you know, it's, it's every day, you know, and as you're a believer, you understand this very well is you pick up your cross and you follow the ways of Jesus. And every day you have to follow Jesus, and every day I have to choose my wife. I have to choose her over and over and over and over again. And so picking up your cross and following Jesus in your sexuality, regardless, irregardless, irregardless of what you're attracted to, or even how it looks, you have to pick up your cross. And it's it's Jesus says it quite well. He's just like, you know, to find your life you must lose it. You must die to yourself, you know, and that's a really, really painful thing, but a really beautiful thing, is because when you do that and you follow his design and you follow his method for your life, it'll be life and life abundantly. Because it is true. It is true life is where it's at. And so I would encourage you, you know, if this is an area where you struggle with, where an area where you feel like it just flares up over and over again, which it probably will if you're a human, um, I would say that be reminded that to bear your cross for Jesus. And God has so much grace for you. Man, he loves you so much in that. And so, yeah.
2: I didn't actually see the interview, but I heard uh, it talked about later. But uh, years ago, a very well-known pastor in the United States, Rick Warren, who pastored Saddleback Church down in South Orange County, was being interviewed on a major talk show, and uh, he was being asked about sexuality. And he said something that shocked the interviewer. Uh, the interviewer was asking, well, "You know, well, isn't it unfair that you know that some people have to you know abstain from certain things and?" And you have the opportunity. And, and he said, listen, he said, if I could do what my body wanted to do, if I could do what my eyes wanted to do and my desires wanted to do, and I know some of you, this is going to like probably shock you because it shocked all of America. But he said, if I wasn't a Christian, if those things weren't holding me back and I didn't have, the, have those standards, I would have sex with as many women as I could. But I've made a covenant commitment to my wife. And so I'm devoted to her. And my sexuality is going to be expressed in my marriage. But I'm tempted. I'm tempted like any man. And that's the reality. All of us have areas in our life, and especially if you've come out of a background where you were promiscuous and, and those kinds of things happened. you Now you have this healing and this restoration that happens in your soul because God loves you and he wants to restore you. But it can be a long road sometimes. It can be a long road to restoration and we have to recognize all of us are going to be taking up our cross in some way, shape, or form so that we can walk and be holy and follow Jesus Christ completely. Amen.
3: Do any of you guys have any thoughts about um, just identity? Kind of as our, our closing thought, I thought that'd be a great way to kind of wrap up this time. Any thoughts on identity? All right, identity, wow,
0: this, this, is, this is one of those subjects that every single one of us have a thought on, like you could share, and really the understanding as Christians that we would get a hold of is that first you are an image bearer of God, like your identity rests in that you are his creation, and here's one of the challenges is that our identity, so often in our culture, we're being told that to root our identity in our feelings or our actions or our history or our ethnicity um, or whatever, whatever common group think is out there. But, but the scripture has much to say about our identity and where we place that trust in about who we are. Um, you know it's a, it's a, it's a it's an interesting thing that that as Christians, we are Christian first, and I know I think right. maybe you know you can yeah. chime in any time, but um, that we would come to see and go ahead and: yeah.
1: okay. We're trying to do what we did for a service, but I, oh. I can't remember what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think my you know I, I think a lot of times especially, this is a little bit of a hot topic, but um, we like to put something in front of Christian, right? I am a, this type of Christian, and you're just a Christian. There's no other, there's no other thing that delineates what you are. You're just a Christian, that's it. Um, and, and again, this was some of the, the things that I talked about um, last week, but if you're a Christian and you, you're following Jesus, you got bought with blood. Who's a Christian in this room? It's okay if you're not. I'm just for us, we got bought with blood. So we don't actually belong to ourselves even, right? Like Corinthians that he lays out this idea of it's like you belong to Jesus, you're a part of Jesus. And so, but almost everything in our culture is very, we're so individualistic as well that it's it's really difficult sometimes for us to separate those things to be like if you made that choice, um, you don't belong to yourself, right? So glorify him in everything that you do. I um sometimes I is, is everyone familiar with the story of the rich young ruler that's probably yeah sometimes that story it's interesting how we where it's like oh it's about money and it's like it's about identity yes, it is. it's about someone who is he's even presented to us as someone who is rich young and a ruler right and he asked Jesus like what do I need to do, right, to follow you? And, and I've done all these other things. I've kept all the law and the commandments. And, and Jesus is like, well, sell everything you own. But he was so wrapped up in his identity that he couldn't follow Jesus. And, and that's something that even as, I, I'm not sure about these guys, but even as a pastor, right, even as someone who does this for a living, like I have to constantly remind myself that, like, no, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, my identity is in Jesus. It's, this is just a separate thing that i love to do it's it's amazing but like first and foremost that's that's it beyond anything else
2: again the apostle paul in galatians chapter 3 at the end of chapter 3 and then the beginning of chapter 4 says this listen carefully to these words because they're powerful for those who uh, for those of you who are baptized into christ have been clothed with christ there is no jew or greek Slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and your heirs according to the promise. And then it drops down later into verse 4, chapter 4, and he says, When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God made you an heir. So here's our identity. We are no longer those those things that used to be in front of Christian or in front of our name, whether they're Jew or Greek or or all the other things Pastor Raul brought up. We are now sons, daughters, heirs and we belong to him and we're in the family of God and that's what identifies us. We have the spirit of adoption sent into us and inside and outside we cry abba father. So all of us now identify God as our father and because he's our father we're his children and because we're his children we're heirs with Jesus Christ of all that there is in the universe and one day that'll be a reality. And so why why are we settling for crumbs from the master's table when we get the whole feast on the table. And the feast is our identity in Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: It's so good. This, this topic of identity is one, man, it's so good. Okay, here we go. You know, in 1 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul lays out, and I think it was uh, quoted in every week that somebody spoke. It was the idea about, about the Apostle Paul recognizing who was amongst the church and gathered there. And he goes on this long list of, uh, of, of all these uh, behaviors and sins from sexuality to how we treat people to, to, to what we do to ourselves. And then he says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God, all those people who are engaged in all that stuff. And then he says, as such were some of you. In other words, he gives this long list and then says, I know that many of you sitting here were on that list. You, you were those people. And then he says, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And this is a powerful thing to understand when we're talking about identity, when we're talking about really um, this attachment to who we are and its value, right? Like its value construct. And we, we, we derive from that a lot of, of how we interpret um, the world and the lens through which we see the world. scripture, who it says about us and who we are and then what that means and how we relate to God and to people. If we continually put things in front of the word Christian, like you just heard, it puts something into a box, and that box is limited. But when you, when you read Scripture, you begin to see that God's word over our lives and who we are as sons and daughters of God is, is vast, and it's limitless. In other words, you were created in this wonderful dynamic that there is no one else like you, and you are an image-bearer of God. And God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe would be saved. Now, now, now follow me here. But here's the thing. Because we live a life, and we're talking about what do you do now with the idea that God gave away, and, and there's a standard, and maybe that's been broken in my life, and now I have to journey into Christ, dragging all that baggage, right? Something tries to attach to us and that's shame and condemnation. Many of you sitting here, just think about this. This feeling of unworthiness in certain areas because what you've done or what's been done to you. We didn't touch some of this in the first service, but think about this. What you've done. Now you know in your mind that list is damnation, right? Like that list speaks against your very core, you know, or... or for some of you here, and this is like what's been done to you in secret or what you know or the actions that have been taken public. People know this. And, and that list is, is here. And it, and it speaks a word to you about your worthiness. This is powerful. Like Jesus has come to speak a different word over your life. In fact, Scripture says that, that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel demanding condemnation and, and justice in, that, in, in the, the blood of Jesus saying forgiveness and mercy and redemption and a cleansing of all those things that no longer your past have power over you. Like, like, like It's breaking that. Jesus is a, is a bondage breaker. Jesus is a, is, is a future maker. It's like a, a new word and an identity. And, and this, is, this is something like, that's what he came. And so, so when you think about even like the Apostle Paul and writing these letters to the early church, and, and some of these letters are, are strong. In fact, in um, pr- pr- I think seven or eight places, the Apostle Paul does say, I write this to shame you. Think about this. He writes, he's he's pointing to a behavior, and he's like, I'm writing this to shame you. In one instance, he's like, do you not have any Christians who can mediate this problem? Or or I write this to shame you. Do you you not see that this behavior is not fruitful to their lives? Will someone not speak up? That's a different kind of shame, right? Because that's compelling them to action in, in light of Scripture. Rise up. Do this thing. But then there's that other one that there's no, seemingly no escape from. Condemnation, that, that, that thing that holds you down. And I'm here to tell you in all of this talk about what we believe in, in all of this idea of design and what God has for us. I'm sorry, I don't mean a co op. Okay, all right. And, and, and here that, that, that we would capture this idea that we talk about this topic of sexuality. We talk about what Scripture says versus the culture and what it would press us. I just want to read you something. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So when we read Scripture to encourage you and to show you the way of God, it's to show you... That there is a way that's been laid out for your benefit. And when the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, a letter to the Gentiles, of which every single one of us is. If you're not Jew, you are a Gentile. That's us. This letter is written. The Apostle Paul says, I have been given, I've been given um, keys of the kingdom in a sense. I've been given insights into Christ. And I'm here to deliver him to you. And then the heart cry of the Apostle Paul for the church in Ephesus or to Gentiles is this. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Saints, do you understand the lengths to which God sent His Son to rescue and redeem people and to give them a new word for their life? You're forgiven and you're redeemed and I've come to rescue you, and I've come to knit you into family, and I've come to rewrite the script of your life. No longer those failures are the word that define who you are. Jesus has said, "I have come to show you a new way. I am the way." And I've come to bring life. And anyone who participates with me will have a spring that begins to flow like living water, out of their heart. And I submit to you this morning that if you're here and you've struggled in, in any of this area, and I, probably 99% of people, 100%, in any area of sexuality, that there is another word over your life. And that word over your life is of a good thing and a future and that you were created for holiness. Holiness to a loving God and that he has made a way and that way is Jesus and he loves you and so this morning if you don't know Jesus this morning I just want to invite you into a conversation about a God who loves you that sent his son for you and maybe you're here this morning and you've wrestled with any area in sexuality from pornography to sex outside of being married, fornication, same-sex behavior, all of that. God's a God who, come, who has come to change people's hearts and minds and to set people free, amen? But he's also come to provide a way. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. This is a powerful thing. This thing that that can come. His life. Given for you. To wipe the slate clean. And in some ways. Though I do agree with Noah's. Assessment about our lives being. Like a garden. And what we plant. We sow. But but I also see sometimes that it's like the effectual grace of God sometimes is like round up to the wicked plant. And and, and, and in some ways, and isn't that the thing that we pray for? Like, Lord, don't let me be devoured by my sinful ways. Like, rescue me, redeem me, show me a way forward and through that I can know you more. I mean, it's God. He's a God of hope and a God of mercy and a God of justice because of his son. It's love for you.